The Giant's Gamble Chapter 28 The Wooden Squid They met briefly with Queen Sarissa and told her what they'd found on the ship. Rune noticed she did not sit on the throne, but made no mention of it. The Krakens, you say, the giantess said thoughtfully. I've never heard of this group. So you don't know why they'd be after your father? Killian asked, disappointed. She shook her head. This Drylum fellow said they were in the trackless sea, Rune added. That's a very large area, Sarissa said. But I suppose you've come to the right place, seeing as we're in the trackless sea. That does help, Thea said, though I'm a bit surprised these Kraken people didn't take your father further away. Perhaps they couldn't, the queen said darkly. It's not so easy to kidnap a storm giant. What about the airship? Killian wondered. They're still back in Yartar. I suppose I can send you back to them, Sarissa suggested. I guess we'll have to, the sailor nodded. We'll let you know if we find your father. She nodded, then led them into the room behind the thrones. Moments later, they were back on the deck of the airship, on the outskirts of Yartar. "'You really need to send some sort of warning,' Martin admonished, holding his chest in surprise as they appeared. "'How's Beatrice?' Rune asked, trotting toward the tressum. "'Your winged cat is fine,' the captain assured him. "'Well, do we have a destination in mind?' Killian nodded. "'The trackless sea.' "'That is a very large expanse,' the captain said uncertainly. "'Have you nothing else to go on?' Not yet, Thea said. We'll need to do a lot of searching. Martin nodded, then turned back to his men and gave the orders. Soon the airship was lifting higher into the sky, leaving the city of Yartar far behind. The trip took several days, which was helpfully sped along by Killian's control over the winds. Flint spent most of the time writing their adventures in a large, leather-bound book, which he occasionally set aside to blow a few squeaking notes into his bagpipes, only to return frantically to scratching quill on paper. The rest of them kept busy with various activities aboard the ship. Killian helped the crewmen, Rune and Thea read their books, Opal spoke to birds, and Evelyn played with her collection of oddities and trinkets. Finally, the expanse of blue appeared on the horizon. Rune tried several times to sit cross-legged on the deck, holding a small mirror in his palms so he could scry on Hecaton, but every time, he felt his magic was blocked. There's something around him, Rune told the rest, something that's keeping me out. As they passed over the sea, Opal and Rune transformed into beasts of flight and took to searching the skies, which were luckily clear and free of storms. The rest scanned the waters with spyglasses. What if they're invisible? Opal wondered one evening, as they sat down for supper, it being too dark to continue their search. They would need to be incredibly powerful to keep an entire ship, perhaps a fleet of ships, and a storm giant invisible, Thea said wisely. If that's true, Rune said, pushing his potatoes away with a fork, then we'll never find them. Great, Evelyn said, and they spent the rest of the meal in depressed silence. The following morning, Martine's men pointed to a cluster of islands. Are they populated? Killian asked the captain, scanning the islands as he flew toward them. Martine shrugged. Not much. A few miners, perhaps some trade business. I'm not all that familiar with the area. The party agreed to fly around the islands in search of ships. 
If nothing else, Opal offered to land on one of the islands and speak to the wildlife to see if they'd spotted anything unusual. They scanned the islands for half a day and saw nothing, so Killian asked Martine to land. Soon enough, the ship dipped from the skies into the water, and their group took a rowboat to the island. Killian and Thea rowed them in. The island's beach was small, and the green jungle behind it looked dense and uninviting. As their boat hit the sandy shore, something shimmered and changed. Killian hopped out and began dragging them in, and Rune noticed a slightly larger boat appear next to theirs. Wuh! Killian jumped back and held up two electrified hands. Where did that come from? Opal gasped, staring at it. It must have been under an illusion, Rune said admiringly. It's empty, Thea said suspiciously, though they could all see it for themselves. Let's tread carefully, Killian cautioned, dragging their boat further onto the shore. Opal walked past him and bent to the jungle floor, speaking her weird, airy language to the plants. They all stood around their druid friend, watching the boat, the jungle, and their airship where it sat in the sea. Rune noticed the plants around Opal were moving subtly, waving this way and that. Then they all seemed to point in one direction toward the sea. Ho there! A man's voice shouted from the trees. Opal stood quickly and they all stared at the man as he came rushing out of the jungle with a shovel. He had scraggly black hair and a long beard, and through his stained shirt showed a portly belly. Stop right there, Thea warned, drawing her sword. The man eyed them all with glowering eyes. What are you all doing here? What are you doing here? Evelyn demanded, both swords out. I work in the mines, the man said. This is your boat? Killian asked, pointing to it. I, the man said. Interesting spell you have over it, Rune said, arching an eyebrow. The man looked genuinely confused. Ain't got no use for spells. Perhaps it's something to do with the island, Thea whispered, like some sort of natural protective magic to keep people away. What's that then? The man shouted, squinting at her. Nothing, Thea said, maintaining the grip on her sword. Have you seen any large ships in the area, perhaps with a giant aboard? The man shook his head stupidly. We stopped here to resupply, Flint told him. Won't find much here, the man replied, except grumpy miners and a whole mess of trees. Killian nodded. Thank you. We will take our leave. The man, seeming to find it not worth his effort, nodded and backed a few steps away, watching them cautiously get back into their boat and push off the shore. He stood as they rowed out, then turned back into the jungle, shaking his head. That was strange, Rune said. I didn't like it. Oh, but the plants told me where we need to go, Opal said quickly, as if just remembering. Where? Killian and Thea asked simultaneously. They saw a giant wooden squid headed south. That could be the ship, Killian said, looking more excited than any of them had felt in days. We have a lead, Flint grinned, then began humming a cheery sailor's tune as Thea and Killian rowed them back to the ship. Martine steered the airship southward, and Rune kept a keen eye out, using his spyglass to scan the horizon. It wasn't more than a few hours before he spotted white sails in the distance. I found them, the gnome shouted, pointing. They all turned with their own eyepieces and searched. You're right, Killian grinned. We've caught them. Ha ha, Flint threw a victorious fist in the air, then waved to Opal in return. Opal flew down and landed on deck, transforming back into her Janassi form. What's our play here? Rune asked. Perhaps we should approach the ship as friends? One of us could disguise themselves as Castier Drylum. Oh, I could make myself an octopus, Opal offered. I like that idea, Thea said approvingly. What do we tell them? Flint asked. 
We could tell them as Castier that we've met some adventurers who somehow found out about them and are looking for Hecaton, Rune said. We just need to improvise enough that we make them trust us. I could sneak around, Flint said, and look for signs of Hecaton. It's a good plan, Killian agreed, and they all nodded. The sailor walked to Martine to explain their plan, when suddenly something slammed into the bottom of the airship. It rocked dangerously in the air. Man the ballastais! Martine shouted. We're under attack! What? They all rushed over to the edge. There was movement on the ship beneath them. Somehow, it had come under them, moving quicker than Rune would have thought possible. They have a magic user aboard, Rune shouted, and as soon as he said it, he was sure. On the deck of the very large ship lay the unconscious, chained-down form of a gray-skinned storm giant. It's Hecaton, Opal gasped. Another shot rocked the ship, and they heard wood splinter as a massive bolt stuck into the bottom of the airship. Rune saw ropes stringing the two ships together. The ship below them had a large wooden kraken on the front of it, but it was too far to make out the name painted on the side. Cut those ropes, Killian shouted, shooting bolts of electricity from his hands at the tethers. Thea quickly did the same, and Flint loaded his crossbow. Rune closed his eyes and began muttering a spell. He heard an explosion. Good shot, Killian, Flint shouted. Rune peeked and saw one of the ballastays in flame. Men were screaming aboard the ship. He felt the deck shift as Martine angled the airship down. Focus, Rune, focus. He closed his eyes again and muttered the spell, feeling the energy rush up beneath him. He threw open his eyes and pressed his hands out and felt the weight spreading in his fingertips. He gritted his teeth and pushed. A great wave rose up from the sea, higher and higher, until it reached the peak of the ship's sails. Men screamed and shouted commands. Rune forced the water up until he could no longer hold it. Then he shoved, and the wave crashed over the Kraken's ship. Wood splintered and cracked, and, when the water cleared, the ship had been overturned, revealing its barnacle-encrusted underbelly. Flint whooped in victory. How did you do that? Killian asked, aghast. Nice work, Rune. Thea grabbed him and shook him. Ah, uh, shouldn't we save the king? Evelyn asked curiously, watching the shipwreck. Right, Rune squeaked. Storm giants can breathe underwater, luckily, Thea assured him. But we should probably still help him out of those chains. Here, Opal turned to them all, touching a finger to each of their foreheads. When she touched Rune, he felt a strange, airy cough choking his lungs. Water breathing, she declared. Martine, Killian said in a strangled voice, drop lower. We're going in. Although Rune could still breathe air, it felt uncomfortably hot and dry. It was a relief, then, when they broke the surface of the salty water and swam toward the upended ship. Rune controlled the water around them, propelling them toward the ship where Hecaton was chained and unmoving. They passed drowning men, but paid them no mind. It was the king they wanted. They reached the ship and saw the chains binding his legs, arms, and torso were thick. Evelyn took out her crowbar and tried breaking through the band around his wrists. Flint swam over to help. In their urgency, Rune saw Thea and Killian trying to use magic to break the other chains, but nothing happened. Rune tried to cast Polymorph on the king to reform him temporarily into a smaller creature, but his magic was blocked. There's something blocking our spells, Killian said in a gargled, underwater voice, just as Rune thought it. How do we break it? Opal asked frantically. I tried to dispel the magic around him, but it won't work. The chains won't be broken. 
Flint said through gritted teeth, swimming back and trying to hammer against the chains with his axe. Killian swam up to Hecaton's peaceful face and tried shaking him awake, though his movements made very little impact while fighting against the resistance of the water. He pulled out a dagger and cut the king's face. The skin split open and red spilled out, but still he did not wake. There's something else keeping him asleep, Rune thought, then swam to the giant and pressed a hand to his chest. He sent a restoring magic through the giant's huge form, but it was ineffective. It must be the chains keeping him unconscious, Rune gargled. They're magical, Killian realized. Rune's eyes widened, and he reached into his hilt, pulling out Nightmare. It was the dagger his god handed to him. You will know when to use it, Berevar had said. Rune nudged Evelyn aside where her crowbar was wedged into the chain. He dug the sharp edge of his blade against the metal and cut through it like butter. Huh! Flint shouted. Very clever! Thea drew her sword and sang into it until it glowed, then pressed the blade against the chain locking Hecaton's other wrist. It cut through it easily. Evelyn was already slicing through one of the leg chains with her glowing sun blade, and Rune had moved down to the last one. As Nightmare seared through the metal, Hecaton's eyes flew open, and he roared. His voice was not muted in the water as theirs was. It was deafening. We're on your side! Flint shouted, swimming out of the giant's aggressive swing. We saved you! Rune shouted. Sarissa sent us? Thea said. Hecaton stopped and blinked, floating there. He stared at them. My daughter sent you? We're the giant saviors, Rune yelled. We've been looking for you for a while. Hecaton turned and looked up at the overturned ship where he'd been tethered, then down at the floating chains. With three giant strokes, he swam up and broke the surface of the water to survey the wreckage. The rest of them followed cautiously, and Killian shouted up to Martine in the airship, which hovered ten feet over the water. It's all right, Martine, the sailor declared. We've got him. We saved the king. They left the Kraken ship and all the men who clung to the bottom of it, coughing. A well-dressed wizard was amongst them, waterlogged and looking helpless as he treaded water. Should we help them? Opal asked, wringing water out of her colorful hair. They are kidnappers and thieves, Hecaton declared in a low, rolling voice, then turned and walked to the bow of the ship. The islands aren't far, Rune whispered to Opal. With that wizard to help them, I'm sure they'll be fine. Well, Killian said, looking around at his friends, I suppose we should return. The airship was again high in the clouds, moving toward the mainland. Opal reached into her bag and pulled out the conch. Ready? Rune set Beatrice on the deck, and the tressum trotted off indignantly to stand at Martine's side. Opal looked up at the storm giant, who nodded his assent. Then she pressed her lips to the conch and blew a low tone. The bubble formed around them, and they were once more transported to the palace under the trackless sea. Listening to The Giant's Gamble by Alexis Vienendahl. 
If you would like to read any of my other writings, you can visit my website at alexisfienendahl.com. You can also click on the link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening.